Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number three of the Forever Strength Podcast. Uh, I'm Andrew Coates, and I've got Bailey Lau with me. We are your co-hosts. And we, our topic today is progressive overload. We introduced this in passing in the last episode when we we're talking about consistency. And we thought, well, we better do a much deeper dive into it. So, Bailey, what is progressive overload? Progressive overload is um, gradually increasing the weight frequency, number of reps, um, stuff like that. Essentially, gradually increasing the load placed on the body in order to get better and challenge the body in order to improve. Why wouldn't we go completely balls to the wall on the first workout and doing everything you possibly can? Um, soreness, most of all. <laughs> um, most people aren't going to want to come back to the gym if they suffer a whole bunch their first day to week whatever how long it takes for them to recover um they're not going to want to come back right so um we want to start off nice and slow um just like beginners don't like to but um in order to create that consistent frequency and showing up to the gym and wanting to be there Knowing that it's not all pain. <laughs> yeah. We're going to progress on relatively small amounts of stimulus early on. Oh, yeah. If we use up everything in our arsenal the first day, then what do we do after that? We can progress off of smaller amounts. So therefore, you know, we almost want to, this is a concept out of Renaissance periodization and Mike Gezertel's work and his team, but almost like your minimum effective dose early on. And you can gradually mm -hmm. progress into more and more. You can add a few reps, a little bit of weight to the bar, um, extra sets, increase the volume and the intensity of everything. We'll get into that in a second. And you still have a lot of room to build into. If someone starts out with a two-hour workout, I mean, shit, first of all, let's talk about uh, rhabdomyolysis, right? Like what happens there? What, what's the risk of doing too much working volume if you're a beginner? Well, with rhabdomyolysis, um, essentially the cell breaks open and everything in the cell spills out to where it's not supposed to be. Um, so essentially it's the breakdown of the cell, everything in, inside, um, because you've essentially pushed yourself too hard and that's the body telling you that was too much. We can't handle that. So then it starts to break down. We got a a rapid elevation of metabolic waste products of exercise and muscle damage. Um, what was it? Creatinine kinase. Thank you. And if those levels elevate aggressively, they can overwhelm the kidneys and it can cause kidney failure. Rhabdomyolysis, if you're not, you're not, if you don't deal with it in the hospital, it's relatively rare, at least it used to be before CrossFit came along and not to crap on CrossFit, but it seemed to be more common early on with the CrossFit people because of the intensity and the volumes that they were throwing people into. Sometimes. So we don't want to like create all this sort of fear for people, but there's not really a lot of upside in just taking your first day in the gym or fairly early and doing massive increases in overall volume. So what are, let's go into more detail about the different ways we can progressively overload someone in their program. Yeah. So like we mentioned in our last podcast, um, there's four main ones and a couple little extras, the intensity, which is the amount of weight that you're moving, um, the volume, which is the rep sets and the amount of exercises you're doing, um, the frequency, which would be the amount of training sessions that you're doing per week. And then the tension, which is the duration that you're putting uh, that muscle under a stimulus. And a lot of those intersect. I think we yeah. often tend to think of adding weight to the bar 
adding sets and adding reps is kind of the basic three. Mm -hmm. And then, as I mentioned in the last episode, there's a couple other elements as well. One is the quality of your movement. If you have more control over how you move, if you are able to use greater range of motion, that is safe. And you can also shorten your restoration to a point because there is a science behind how long you need to rest or recover, depending on the weight you're using, the rep ranges and, and so on. So we have a lot of factors we can manipulate instead of, and again, we talked last time about consistency and not falling into the trap of thinking you always have to randomly change up your program. You can progress and create a fun experience for clients if they're constantly using a little bit more challenge, especially more weight when they're able to safely do it. Yeah. So what you want to break down a little bit of the physiology of it without getting too hardcore into the science lesson, what do people need to know? Um, so progressive overload, really the main thing you need to know is you're putting stress on the muscle, um, in order for it to recover and become stronger. So with strength training, of course, you're putting stress on the muscle in order to make it stronger. Um, endurance would be allowing, um, putting stress on the muscle over a duration of time, like running in order to increase the amount of time that you can put that muscle under that stress. Um, and not just the skeletal muscle, right? That also includes the heart, um, the ability to get oxygen to the muscles, breathing, the lungs, the respiratory system, all that kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> so the body becomes more efficient and it adapts if you're allowing it to rest after you've put that stress on whatever system uh, puts you towards your goals. Um, so with strength training, we are, it's more so your fast twitch muscle fibers that we're putting the stress on um, to increase the muscle size, which would be hypertrophy. Um, so if you're increasing the load, which is the amount of weight that you're putting on the bar, um, you're increasing the amount of motor units to activate more muscle fibers in order to generate a larger uh, amount of force. A little bit within that, and going over some uh, strength training textbooks, we have to lift fairly heavy to optimize strength strength growth because the largest motor units, those big fast twitch muscle fibers will be the last ones to get utilized. So that's why you can't take an empty barbell, curl it a hundred times and get crazy strong. I mean, you'll get great pumps off it. There's a lot of different dimensions to what causes muscle growth too. And again, we'll talk about that in a future episode, but for the time being, I want people to take away from this what matters most. Something else that um, we sort of danced around there, but I'll say too, we're also training energy systems, right? Aerobic and anaerobic energy systems. And I don't want to get into the hardcore science of that one, but we want to be able to have people perform really well in the gym, develop the stamina or uh, training capacity to lift weights and, and do more work. But it also is the aerobic energy system work for cardiovascular health, like you mentioned. And maybe if someone is interested in hiking or other sports and different sports have different anaerobic versus aerobic demands, you're a soccer player. It definitely has aspects of both, but uh, we want the healthy and being able to do whatever they're enjoying in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for longevity as well. Let's also touch on training to failure, right? So there's probably a little bit of nuance to training to failure. So thoughts on that as it applies to progressive overload. Um, 
So again, with the physiology, you're putting stress on the muscle. Um, the closer you get to failure, the more stress you're putting on that muscle. Potentially, the more it's going to recover and become more efficient uh, and improve your performance and advance your uh, progressions. But again, you need to be able to rest from it, right? So going 100% to failure, getting to that last rep, only being able to do half a rep. It depends on the exercise. Um, Barbell curls for the biceps, sure. Small muscle recovers a lot faster. Squats going every week to failure, not such a great idea just because the demand on the muscle because you're using um, multiple joints and multiple muscle groups. That's a lot of recovery required. So um, train to failure, I would say 80, 90% um, from that 100% close to failure so that you're applying the right amount of stress in order for that muscle to become more efficient and adapt, um, but not all the way to failure, just so that you can recover for the rest of your week. Yep. And this is like a very contentious issue within the industry. Um, the different people have different philosophies. I find the, the evidence-based, the, the more academic side, and I'll again cite Dr. Mike Isertel and his team at Renaissance Periodization, they tend to point more towards as long as you're probably within a rep or two of failure, you know, strict form failure. And again, there's strict form failure versus what you can do with ugly form. Then mm -hmm. you're probably going to have a really good balance of training intensity and volume and the ability to recover from it. We can accumulate, if you're always going to failure in your workouts, every set, you're going to accumulate fatigue faster than you accumulate training effect. And you're going to notice that progressively through your workout, your performance goes down. So the yeah. net, and then, like you said, you need to recover between your workouts. If you're constantly over training through your workouts, I mean, your stamina will grow, but it's probably not an optimal way of training. And like you said about squats, I'm not super worried about having someone do curls to failure, but I don't want to see someone hitting a lot of failure reps on uh, something like a squat, especially if it's a lot of weight bench pressing, the injury risk goes up if you're constantly smashing up against failure or using post failure tactics, which is a topic for another day. Yeah. Well, and also it depends on what kind of failure. So if you're going to failure because you're doing 20 reps of your 60, 70% of your one rep max, that might not be so bad besides the mental fatigue that also comes with it. Um, so be aware of strict form failure, making sure full range of motion, um, your uh, technique and form is proper, but um, there's a difference between that failure and testing your one rep max every week. Okay. Try to form the thought I had there too. You probably- You first, sorry. There are different kinds of stress, yeah. Both mentally, but it's it's really hard on the the- whole system, the whole body to do a one rep max that max that consistently. Um, just that's a lot of tension, muscle tension. I think a good rule of thumb is I tend to bias more towards if I'm going to use failure, it'll be on the accessories versus the big compounds. And yeah. I tend to put it in place on the last set of everything. I mean, I don't mind if you got, again, like some shoulder laterals or some curls or something, you take a few sets to failure. That's not a big deal towards the end of your workout. But like we said, you're taking squats and heavy deadlifts to failure for multiple sets early in your workout, you're not going to feel great for the rest of it. Anybody who's ever done high rep, heavy squats to failure, it feels terrible. Okay. It feels like torture. Yeah, you might make yourself <laughs> puke. And especially people who are relatively new to the experience are probably not going to enjoy that very much. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, any additional thoughts on rest, anything else we want to mm -hmm. clarify there? 
Um, no, just without rest, the body doesn't recover and it, you're not going to get those gains because it's counterproductive. The, the whole reason we put stress on the body is so that it can build. And if you're not allowing it to rebuild and recover, um, putting more stress on it isn't going to get you anywhere. Good. What about the nutrition side? What do we need to put in place with nutrition to maximize our progress? Um, specifically with strength training, um, you're going to want to not increase, but just make sure that you're in taking enough protein and, uh, to figure that out, talk to a dietitian. Um, it's different for everyone. There's rules of thumb. So, you know, if you're a beginner and you just want to go with the rule of thumb, then, then look into that, make sure that you, you've done your research. Don't just take people on YouTube for what they say. Um, yeah, cause those proteins, that's the macronutrient breaks down into um, what the body utilizes, which is the amino acid, which is what is building your muscle. And I'm pretty comfortable. You know, I'll, I'll certainly go and say that I tend to advise clients that they want to optimize for a lot of different goals, building muscle, getting stronger. And even if we're going for fat loss, about one gram of protein per lean pound of your body mass. If I work with, you know, pretty lean men, especially I'll often just round it up to their body weight, but for everybody else, we can come up with a loose number. It doesn't have to be exact. And no. there is plenty of really good research on testing people consuming upwards of four times their body weight uh, in pounds in grams of protein per day. And it has no detrimental effects. The whole idea that high protein diets are bad for your kidneys or anything else. That's pure myth. It's not based in research. It is, it's, a misunderstanding of the old belief system that if you had unhealthy kidneys that you needed to consume a lower protein diet. I train a cardiologist and a nephrologist, that's a kidney specialist. And even the medical recommendations on this stuff are changing now. Now, again, I want to be very careful about citing medical advice. We, it's outside of our scope to prescribe nutrition to treat disease, but they are now looking at the trade-offs between, well, if you've got someone who's already compromise in terms of certain health issues, and you give them a, a very low protein diet that could be detrimental to maintaining muscle mass and maintaining muscle mass has a profound relationship with longevity and quality of life. So, but anyway, if you're in that territory or a coach in that territory, you know, you're referring that stuff out to a doctor or, a or a dietitian anyway. Yeah. Yeah. My point just, um, it's nutrition. A lot of it is guess and check. Um, everyone's different and you're going to, you're probably going to want a coach that's good and knows what they're doing. Um, or a doctor, like you said, if it's some sort of illness or disease related. Absolutely. Um, I think it's just really important. That coaches are very careful about stepping outside of scope of practice on this one. Right. And the other one, and this is again, a topic for another day, but, uh, you know, treating clients with eating disorders, we want to be really careful there, refer that stuff out to qualified, you know, health professionals. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, another thing with nutrition is the energy balance. Um, you are only going to be able to utilize for specifically strength training, um, what you in intake as food intake, um, because it depends on the energy balance. So energy expenditure versus um, the intakes of what you're using compared to what you're intaking, your body's only going to be able to utilize, um, what's there. So if you're not feeding it, um, you're not getting enough protein, it has nothing to use. Again, you're not getting anywhere. You could potentially taking it from elsewhere, um, your bones, you know, and of course, if there's excess body fat energy gets used from there, um, 
but it, yeah, energy balance is, is pretty important when it comes to strength training, but all modes of exercise. It's especially relevant. I mean, the, the women that we, co- our, our online group is women. I mean, and you and I both work with your clientele is mostly women, some men, and I'm probably a mixed 50, 50, but for our female clients and for women in general, they often face the dual pressure uh, to look a certain way plus perform. And they're often, it's a double standard, male professional athletes and, and athletes of all levels don't fa- face the same criticisms or scrutiny or pressure to both look a certain way and also perform optimally. All you got to do is look at the way that reporters ask questions of female celebrities in Hollywood and female athletes versus what they say to male athletes. And they get Mm -hmm. away with asking bullshit of female athletes and celebrities that would never get asked of men. So ultimately, we just want to bring it to women's attention that if the goal is fat loss, we want to approach that with a great deal of caution if we also want to get stronger. And Long-term, I believe that progressive overload into getting someone stronger and putting on a little bit of muscle is one of the most beneficial and sustainable ways to stay lean. Mm-hmm. Any other yeah, thoughts? Okay. No. Yeah, great. Uh, anything else about, well, you made a note about maintenance. So does do people need to stay in a constant state of progressive overload? No. Um that's not sustainable to be continuously moving up. Um, we talked about newbie gains. So when you're a beginner, um, because your body has been going from, you know, potentially being sedentary or a different mode of exercise that um, you've gotten good at, you're switching into strength training. Um, that first bit, you're going to be seeing those gains. You know, they, it could start as early as a few weeks and last however many months. That's usually when people hit a plateau and, it's because they're not progressive overloading. Um, but even then, sometimes you hit a wall, your body, something needs to change in order for you to keep moving. So it's not a bad idea to sit at maintenance for a while. Um, if that's not your goal, that's fine. You can figure out a different way to continuously progressively overload so that you're adapting and getting better at things. Um, but for maintenance, correct me if I'm wrong, um, you only really need to do about a third of what you were doing when you were progressively overloading. Yeah. Or at the, the top, you know, you decide that I don't want to squat more than 200 pounds and you just continuously do 200 pounds and you're good with that. Um, potentially you could make gains in other places by taking shorter rest periods, but um, you really only need to work at about a third of what you were working at in order to get there. And we could take that a little further too, because even within working out, we may have someone who wants to work on various aspects of their strength. They may want to, you know, Hey, I want to get better at my squat. That's the main goal. And we can focus on maintenance level volume for some of the other big lifts because the body can only recover from a certain amount of work anyway. So that's a more advanced concept. Don't need to go too far into that. I'll leave it off on another thought about a plateau as well. I like reframing plateaus because people get very discouraged if they feel like they're not making progress. Let's say you have lost 30 pounds, your goal is 60. Let's say maybe you've tried to lose the weight before, done an aggressive diet plan, lost some weight, regained it. And this time around, you're at the same weight for maybe three to four weeks. Or maybe it's strength and building muscle and you're plateaued that way. You're sustaining you have now demonstrated your ability to maintain your best ever effort. 
So we can take it as a frustration because, hey, we're not progressing anymore. Or we can take it as a demonstration that, hey, we've actually been really successful. And if we stay the course and give it a little bit of time, usually we start seeing progress again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this stuff doesn't happen overnight, right? So, uh, yeah, you're right. Looking at the bigger picture, it, um, it puts things into perspective for sure. Awesome. Focus on the positives, right? Great. So, again, if you guys have any more questions, uh, go follow us, message us on social media, at uh, Bailey Lau Fit and at Andrew Coates Fitness. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And if you're one of the members of our uh, our Forever Strength program, um, obviously we are really appreciative, grateful that you're here, part of the program. If you're just listening to the podcast at this point, we're really grateful that you tune in. You can also help us by sharing this podcast with friends, someone in your world, in your network. If you're a coach, maybe it's the people in your network who you believe would benefit from this because we as coaches get caught up in all these advanced things and we assume that people understand a lot of basics. There are new people to the fitness industry all the time. There are people just starting out and sometimes they feel like these basic questions are stupid and it can be really hard to put yourself out there and ask that. So share this with someone you feel like who would really benefit from it. Tell them to contact us. We'd love to help. We're not going to try to sell people on anything. And ultimately, if someone feels like our program is something that they just can't live without, we would love to talk to you about it. So thanks for tuning in. See ya.